If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Philippians 4. In Philippians 4, it's kind of the, the wrap-up. Paul is not, he, he actually doesn't give any commands in the text that I'm going to give us today. But what he does is he offers himself up as a joyful example of Christian maturity. He returns back to a theme that he started back in Philippians 1, 3, and 4. He, he said this, stay in chapter 4, but back in the first chapter he said, I thank my God with all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And so what, what is he doing is he's, he's expressing his love for the church of Philippi. He, Paul just loves Philippi. He just loves the church. He's thankful for the church. He knows their issues. He knows their weaknesses. And his heart is just so full for them. There's, there's words like beloved. I, I have you in my heart. There's these phrases where he then when he gets to the end, he just returns and he kind of tacks on this thank you note at the very end. And, and he shares his gratitude. And he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. This is verse 10, chapter 4. This is their text. You can look there. How that at length you have re revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, or for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in, every, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And Paul just is expressing this gratitude in his heart for the church of Philippi. And what I want to propose to us this morning is that, that Christian, you're to be content with what you have. You're, you're to seek to invest your resources in gospel opportunities, knowing that God is the source of all you have. In fact, if we were to take that proposition and break it down into three bite-sized points, it'd be this. Christians are to invest their resources to advance the gospel, one. Christians are to be content with the resources they receive, number two. And then last, Christians are to source their confidence in the resources of God. Well, let's look at those points together this morning. Christians are to invest their resources to advance the gospel. God did an amazing work at the church of Philippi. Acts 16 would be a fun read this afternoon. You'd be able to read through what type of gospel work, what type of gospel transformation hit the city of Philippi. How did God turn this, this Cretan city upside down? We, we know that Paul and Silas, they came to Philippi. There was much work to do, and yet by the grace of God, you meet Lydia from Thyatira. She's this wealthy businesswoman. That she's probably a patron of the church of Philippi. They, they run into this demonic girl and yet God sets her free and because of the the regenerative work that happens in the life of this girl they're now cast into jail and you meet the Philippian jailer and all of these different people you get to see the power of the gospel and Paul says he says I greatly rejoice in the Lord that the church of Philippi once again is concerned about him he says, you, you've, you've blessed me in the past. You've ministered grace and financial good to me in the past. Now, now it seems that there's been some lapse of support. Now, if you've ever read Paul, like, like if you read the Apostle Paul, especially in Romans, he's the master at saying something and then clarifying something. 
He, he kind of says one pull over here and he goes, well, now I'm not saying this. I'm, I'm actually saying this too. And I, I just want you to see all these things. And so I rejoice in the Lord greatly how that you have revived your concern for me and you've been concerned for me. But uh, you, there was a time that you weren't. There, there was a season when you couldn't. And Paul works to avoid any manner of communication and infer that the church is out of line. He, he's not saying that because then in verse 14, he goes on and goes, yet, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Paul's trouble is that he's writing this epistle from the city of Rome where he's imprisoned. Now, a prisoner in the Roman prison system was responsible to provide his own food, his own lodging. It seems like at this time that Paul was running low, low on resources and yet he rejoices that God had provided for him through the Philippian church. And they shared in his trouble, we see there, by providing the, the, the money for the rent and the food and the other necessities. Uh, we go on in this story and we realize, verse 15 tells us, this is not the first time the church of Philippi found ways to minister to Paul. He gives some detailed recollection of the ministry of the Philippian church. He, when Paul left Philippi, after all the remarkable things that happened in Acts chapter 16, he goes down the road to Thessalonica. And there the church of Philippi sent financial help on more than one occasion. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent to me the needs, needs once and again. And then he leaves that area of northern Greece or, or Macedonia. And, and we see in verse 15, he says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except for you only. The church of Philippi just loved Paul. The church of Philippi just wants to stay partnered to Paul. They just want to, they want to advance the gospel in partnered relationships. And then we see in um, uh, Paul later, he's writing, or uh, I think it's actually earlier than this text, he, he's writing the church of Corinth. And he's talking about the church of Philippi. I mean, he's, he's talking to Corinth, Corinth with all of his issues. I mean, they just, uh, well, he says in 2 Corinthians 8, he says this, I want you to know, brothers, so this is Paul writing church of Corinth, but he's talking about Philippi, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Uh, Philippi is the greatest city of Macedonia. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they came according to their means. Like, like they're not a wealthy church. And as I can testify, and beyond their means, their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And Paul just informs the church of Corinth that these, these, this poor church in this portion of Macedonia was just, was just so burdened to stay in gospel partnership to him and to stay in gospel partnership with, with the needs of other mission needs of Christians around the Mediterranean. He, he goes on later, 2 Corinthians 11, in talking about his own needs being met by the church of Philippi. He says, I robbed other churches, 2 Corinthians 11, 8. Doesn't that just sound good out of context? I robbed other churches. What he's saying is, I served you because other churches footed the bill. 
He said, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and, and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers, listen to this, the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way because the church of Philippi, they just love me. I don't know how to explain it. They just love gospel work. I don't know how to explain it. They just love the gospel going out all over the Mediterranean. And I just want you to know that they're, they're just a model church that way. But I found myself as a, uh, this is actually, I, I did some study on this for up at Gospel Grace throughout the summer. We, we went through Philippians and I, I just found myself specifically for the context of like the church where I'm, a, a, I'm an elder at, I just found myself saying, man, I hope Gospel Grace is like that. But this week as I was going through this text, I just know that the leadership here and I just, I know my own heart for you all. I hope, I just hope that Gospel Hope's like this too, don't you? Just a church that just is like, I just want to be burdened about the gospel. I just want to partner with people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want to, I want to enter into gospel partnerships with others. And you Philippians yourself know, he says, verse 15, we're back to our text. And you Philippians yourself know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you only. You know, every church starts with help from someone. You know that, right? Every church starts with help from someone. I, I look at this building, and one of the, the sweet things that God helped the Larkins and, and, and Trinity Baptist was to just steward and shepherd the gifts that came in and the resources. And, and what a beautiful, in, in a landlocked county, I mean, you know how hard it is to get land in Salt Lake City right now? And yet in a landlocked county, here's, a, here's a, a footprint and there's dirt and there's buildings and they're paid for. But it wasn't because like there was some rich benefactor that was going to Trinity Baptist at the time. Somebody entered into gospel partnership here. Churches get started because somebody enters into a gospel partnership. They give out of their abundance or they give out of their poverty. We want to be a church that lives like that. We want to be a church that's generous with our resources, right? You see, the church of Philippi, I, I, I love the fact that it wasn't a wealthy church. Sometimes we're all looking for the big dog, aren't we? We're all looking for the one that says, oh, you have a need, here's the check. Oh, you want to borrow my credit card? Go for it. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That's Paul writing to the church of Corinth about Philippi. He says about the gift that he got from the Philipp uh, Philippines, from the Philippians, them too. <laughs> He said, I receive full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. You see, often when churches get started, there are a lot of sacrifices. You know, I was standing, um, I was standing in Gospel Grace this week as just thinking about how the Lord used some people to help Gospel Grace get into a church building. I'm standing here, I'm just thinking about how some, some kind people helped Gospel Hope get into a church building right here may we be churches that just whether we're rich or poor we just are generous with our resources you see be a church that seeks gospel partnerships but then christians we're to be content with the resources that we receive so for us to be generous means there has to be a spirit of contentment 
You ever thought about that? For me, to be, for me to be free with what I have means that I'm content with what I have. So in verse 11, Paul, Paul does this. He, he kind of talks to the whole church, and then he's talking about himself, and he, he goes in and out and in and out. And so in verse 11, right in the middle of where we went, he says, not that I'm speaking and being in need. For I'm learning whatever situation, I am content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now look down at verse 17. He says, not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Have you ever gotten yourself in trouble in conversation when you're actually trying to be nice? Um, I, I do. At times, only times, only occasionally. My, my wife says I'm the master of the backhanded compliment. Seriously, I have the best of intentions. I'm just, I, I want to say something nice, and yet somehow I don't say something nice. And that's the type of communication that Paul is trying to avoid. I mean, twice after commenting about the sacrificial giving of the Philippian church, he wants to make it clear that he's not expecting a financial gift from the church. He, he's not being like this passive-aggressive guy by praising the church publicly and hoping for some private, you know, gift Notice what he says, verse 11 and 17. It starts with the same word. Not that I'm speaking in need of want. Not that I seek a gift. He, he's trying to praise them for what they have done. He's saying what they are, have done is really good, but he's like, now, I'm not trying to get something from you. By the way, what Paul does, and we'll see this, is in so trying to communicate that he's not trying to get something from them, that in turn, he's not being unthankful for what they have given this is the classic, I mean, I totally get what Paul's doing here. This is my life. I say this, oh, I don't mean that. Oh, I don't mean that either. And so I kind of mean in the middle. How about you? He's saying, no, you've got to be content with the resources you have. And Paul says, so I just want to thank you for all the gifts you give. I'm not trying to get gifts. Oh, but I don't really need gifts. That's what he's going to say. I'm really content. Well, not that I'm not thankful for the gifts that you gave. See, the reason why when Paul says I've learned to be content is so kind of jarring is because, well, Christians are not naturally content. Like in and of our own strength, in and of our own being, we're, we're not naturally content. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation that I am to be content. I, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. He, he's saying this. I, I, I've learned it. I, I'm not in need because I'm actually content. But when you look around, I mean, this is so like, you're like, I don't buy, that's, I, okay, you must be really spiritual because when I look around, not everybody else is content. When I look in the mirror, I, I don't see someone that's totally content. I mean, Paul, I mean, Solomon said, the eyes of the Lord, uh, excuse me, the eyes of men are never satisfied. He goes on, he writes Ecclesiastes, and we know everything that Paul did, I mean, oh my, everything that, that, that Solomon did in trying to seek out contentment, how none of those things satisfied. We see it, discontentment in the rich today. I, um, remember that, um, remember J.D. Rockefeller, the, the, the first American billionaire, and there was a reporter, and they're, they're like basically saying, um, how much money is enough? Do you remember the, the famous response? Just what? A little bit more. <laughs> How many of you have ever dreamed of getting an inheritance? How many of you have ever dreamed of getting like some cat or like a lottery ticket you didn't buy? 
Or you're, you're just walking down the concourse in the Las Vegas airport, and there was a credit on one of the slot machines, and you didn't put the money in. You just pulled it because someone else forgot it, and you won. Isn't it amazing how we start with a figure, and then we kind of spend through that figure, and like, well, maybe just a, maybe a little bit more. And I'll just set up like a nonprofit, and I'll make sure that there's Bibles in China, and I'll do all this good work, and I'll build wells in Africa, and I'll just administrate this whole thing, you know, just a little payment for me. We see the discontentment in the rich today. We see the discontentment in the poor today. I, I remember landing in, in an African country, and the first words that I really heard in the, native, uh, the, the local language was, was this boy running up to me saying, Payson and Guy. I, I said, what's Payson and Guy? And, and the person with me that lived there said, oh, <laughs> that means give me. I heard Payson and Guy my entire time of four months in this country. I mean, I was taking a bath in the river, and the deacon came up to me, and he said, Payson and Guy shirt. And uh, I mean, I just, every village I went to, Payson and Guy, I came with four suitcases. I, seriously, I left with one. And, and, and that's great. I'm just saying, it doesn't matter if you have a lot. It doesn't matter if you have a little. Just look at your own soul. We all want a little bit more. And so here is Paul, and he's saying Christians are not naturally content, but I've, I've learned this. But the shock value of this is not just that we don't see contentment around us. It's, it's like that it's almost lost on the service reading in our English translation, but the Greek word behind the word content in verse 11 is actually a, an adjective that is very limited use Bible, but it has direct connection to the Stoic philosophers of the day. And, and in the Stoic philosophers, uh, they, would, they would talk about this contentment as the good life. I, I mean, if you've done any homeschool and classical conversations with Aristotle or Plato, you know that, that what's being communicated is like they're supposed to be like the, the pursuit of the good life. I mean, like that, that, that pursuit of, of life, liberty, and happiness, that good life. Seneca, a Roman philosopher, he said this, a happy man is content with his present lot no matter what is and what's reconciled to his circumstances. And what you begin to realize, though, is that the contentment of the Romans and the Grecian people and the philosophers of the day is actually a contentment that's very self-oriented, that, that eventually I just reach a state in my life that it doesn't really matter what you do around me because I'm content in and of myself. But Paul, he pushes it. He said, I, I, I've learned every circumstance. I, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I, I've learned the secret of facing plenty. Did you know that having is just as much of a trial as not having? Though I think some of us would rather that trial than the other, right? I, I know how to be hungry. I know how to have abundance. I, I know how to need. But he's not giving untested advice. What, 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 what starts to happen for the Christian, if you know the, the New Testament scriptures, you, you realize that Paul, well, back in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, at the present hour, we hunger, we thirst, we're poorly dressed, we're buffeted, we're homeless, we labor, we're working with our hands, when reviled, we bless, when persecuted, we endure, when slandered, we entreat. We have become, listen to this, and still are like the scum of the world and the refuge of a refuge of all things. Paul, he, he knows it. He, he knows in, in 2 Corinthians, he goes, I, I've been beaten with rods. I was stoned. I was adrift at sea. I, I, I've, I've got false brothers. I hardships, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst. 
You see, for us to enter sacrificially and love others and enter into gospel partnerships, it means at the very core, I must be content with what God has given me. At the very core, I just have to be content where I am at. And not only has Paul endured the hardships, but he's seen the great things. He's seen the, the mountaintop experiences. He's seen churches planted. I mean, think about the church of Philippi. That was a miraculous thing to see people from all walks of life come together so they could be the church. So Christians are not naturally content. They must learn the secret of contentment. You see, any sensitive person listening to Paul wants to know how Paul can be content. Uh, be content. The temptation for contentment is so great. I mean, the, the Instagram post, the, every viral video nicks at us. Every commercial makes us feel content. We get with friends and we see their, their property. We see their house. We see their kitchen. We see their car. I mean, this whole culture is so geared for discontentment. So there's so many false deliverances for the discontented soul, a soul that's not at rest with God. They, they, they seek to find contentment in everything around them. And yet Paul twice says, I have learned the secret of contentment. You know, in one sense, that should be a, an encouragement to all of us in this room. That means if I no, don't normally have it, I can learn it. Like if, if I don't have it, there can be a grace in my life that supplements it. If, if, if I don't have that, I can learn. By the way, that phrase, I have learned, it's, it's really connected to the idea of being a disciple, a learner of Jesus Christ, one that becomes like Jesus. And so what he does though, Paul, he makes it even, he tweaks it even more and gets at the philosophers in another way. He says, I've learned the secret of contentment. It's the idea of a, a religious setting to be initiated into a mystery. And yet what's so funny about this is he's poking at the religion that is actually saying there's secrets and there's all these things and and Paul just kind of says but it's an open secret and I just want you to know it Shh, don't tell everyone but I'm going to write an epistle and tell everyone the secret Shh. he said I've learned this secret of contentment and this secret can be yours the curiosity to the Grecians and the recipients of this epistle is just building. He's just poking at the language that they would understand and connect to other things. And he says, I'm not talking about some elitist society. I'm not talking about going behind closed doors and getting little secrets so I can know how to be spiritual. No, he's, on, he's like upturning the whole system of the day. So you see the Grecians, they would come up with their their philosophy that would somehow make them have the good life and somehow they would, they of themselves would be above everybody else. And, and Paul's just like, no way. Paul, uh, one commentator said this. He goes, well, Paul transforms the very stoic sounding sentences that have proceeded from appearing to promote any sense of sufficiency within himself to a sufficiency quite beyond himself. Look now at verse 13. I mean, in context, he says, okay, you want to know? You want to know how to be content? You want to know the secret that I'm telling you shh, shh about? Let me just tell you straight up. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can be content in low seasons. I can be content and in love with Jesus in high seasons. I can make it through the storms. I can do all the ups and the downs. Why? Because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Christ, the commentary goes on, Christ, the basis, the source of everything for Paul. And thus he turns self-sufficiency into contentment because of his, listen to this, his Christ-sufficiency. Do you know what? You can find contentment 
When you connect, you're standing in life with the practical sovereignty of God. You see, a contented person can be described as a person who agrees and submits to God's desire for his or her life. The learning and the knowing of this passage, that's what he says, right? He, he, he causes us to go into a classroom of, of contentment. He said, I've learned this. I've known this. This is what he's doing. He's saying only by going through seasons of having, only through going through seasons of not having, can a Christian experience that Jesus is still there and that he satisfies. Some of you in this room right now, you're struggling to pay the bills. Can I tell you, Jesus is enough for you. Some of you right now, by God's grace, you're paying the bills and you're seeing a little bit of excess and in your heart, you're wrestling what to do with your excess and you're wondering if you should give some of that away or whether you should plan for tomorrow, should you invest that? I mean, all the trials of having are just as intense of the trials of not having. And even in that trial, you're going to come to the end of the day, maybe you're going to get the, a new set of clothes or reno the house or whatever, you, you, you buy that, but, but you're going to taste and see that, guess what, that car is enjoyable but doesn't satisfy, but Jesus does. Do you see what he's doing? He's just leveling the playing field, and he's saying all of us are gospel partners with whatever we have, but we can only be a gospel partner if we're contented in our own soul. I, um, I went to this Bible college in the North Woods of Wisconsin, and we had this missionary couple that would come and serve us, and they were just, they were sweeter than sweet. I mean, they just did, they were great. And I remember getting with the, the wife. I went on a date with this 70-year-old woman, married woman, I would almost every week. I'd just go to lunch with her, and i just talk to her because it was just like, it was so good. And I remember one time, I was so d- discouraged. I was a sophomore, junior in college, trying to walk with Jesus, doing terrible. I just looked at her, and I go, does it ever get easier to follow Jesus? She just laughed at me. She goes, it gets harder. She said this, but, and this, this, t- still see the twinkle in her eyes. She just goes, but will, when, over the course of life, When you start to realize that every time you get in the boat with Jesus, he takes you safely to the other side, it doesn't take away the storms, but it does get easier to jump in the boat. She had learned. She had learned in the ups and the downs that Jesus was really good about getting boats to the other side. And you know what Paul's doing right now as he closes up this epistle to the church of Philippi? He's just telling them, he's like, you, you, I'm so thankful for you, and you guys aren't the most wealthy church, but I just want you to know that I'm so thankful. You've been so kind to me, and you know what? It's deeper than just the gifts you give. It's just actually the contentedness of your own soul, and I can be content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It, by the way, that verse is so misabused. It's so misquoted. This does not mean I can hit the home run, dunk the basketball, score the touchdown, run the marathon through Jesus. It doesn't mean I can pass the test, get the promotion, get the girl, win the lottery through Jesus. What it means is I can do all of these things. I, I can be content with poor health because Jesus is my strength. That's what it means. I can be at peace with my enemies because Jesus is my savior. I can be joyful when I'm out of money because Jesus is my treasure. I can enjoy the feast because Jesus is my best portion. I can laugh in the good times because Jesus is the comfort of my soul. You see, having a relationship with Jesus 
is the seeker of Christian contentment. It could be that you're here this morning and you're a guest and you've never really been in a Christian church that just believes in the Bible, just preaching faithfully through the Bible. It could be that you're, you actually, you, you could know Utah context so well that you know the people that are on prescription drugs trying to put contentment in through a chemical. It could be that you know the context so well that though the outward looks really good, the house, you've heard the arguments and the yelling and you've heard the, 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 the anger and the shouts and the swearing at one another and then the couple comes out and looks perfect. You may know the discontentment of many people's souls and it could be yours. Can I tell you something? What's going on here at Gospel Hope is not more religion. What's going on here is not more expectations that you've got to measure up to somehow reach a level so everyone looks at you that you're special. Can I tell you something? Jesus said, come unto me all ye that are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus is the one that carries the burdens. And Jesus is the one that gives you rest of soul that you can continue on in this journey of life. And whether there's ups or downs, you can find your rest in Jesus. This would be one of those topics that you might want to continue with Pastor Danny or one of the other elders here or somebody else in the church, how that you can find rest in your soul through Christ. By the way, what we see is that satisfied Christians, they're they, they can bless, seek to bless others. So we're not born naturally satisfied. I, I can be satisfied in Christ, but a satisfied Christian seeks to bless others. He, he evidences this down. Look at verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, right? This is where Paul's double speaking. He's like, he's like uh, I'm content. Thanks for your gift. I, I'm, not, I'm not asking for a gift, but I'm not trying to demean your gift. I mean, this is the double speaking. Look what he does. He goes, verse 18. Not that I seek the gift, like, I don't want more. I'm not trying to get more from you. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphrodite the gifts you sent. You see, Christians who are content are free to appreciate the gifts from others. Like, like Christians that are content with Jesus, they receive as unto the Lord. They receive a small gift. They receive a big gift. They receive a, a certain gift, and it's all good gifts because they're from God. You ever seen a wretched, spoiled child not get a present they wanted? And rather than display gratitude and thankfulness, they destroy the moment. Because Christians, they're, they're this free in their heart to receive whatever gift God brings, but they're also content and desired that others would be blessed. That's what he did. He said, the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. You know what Paul does? He's just like, I just love the fact that you're giving to me because you're going to be blessed by God because you're actually giving as unto the Lord. Like, I'm just a conduit for you to get grace. Like, like you're a conduit of God's grace. Like, you're giving temporally. This is what's going on. You're giving temporally, and I just want you to know, I'm kind of in the way, and I do need to pay bills in Rome, but I just want you to know, you're being blessed too, and I'm just so glad that somehow I have a need so that you're blessed. Did you track that? But really, a person that's soul contented, it's not about the actual stuff. It's about what's God doing in this moment. And that brings us to our third point, and it's this Christians are to be a source, are to source their confidence in the resources of God. So we see that that, that word of entering a gospel partnerships with others. We see from this text that I'm actually supposed to be content with what I've received. But we also see that Christians are to source their confidence in the resources of God. Ultimately, Paul's ability to be content was sourced in Christ. We said that, verse 13. Paul, the, likewise, the Philippians' ability to invest their resources in the gospel ministry is found in the eternal riches of Christ. Look down at verse 19. 
So my God will supply your every need of yours according to his riches in Christ. And so, so Paul wants the Philippian church to understand the character of God. God's not going to leave his children ultimately alone. And, and so there's, uh, we could have just done a message straight from this text, and there's, um, there's this unique transaction that's taking place. There's three parties. There's, there's Paul, there's the Philippian church, and there's God. And, and you notice all the, the financial terms. He's going in this financial metaphor, this business-type metaphor. Look in verse 17. Look at these different words. You got gift, you got credit, receive full payment, well supplied, his riches. And so this financial metaphor, it takes the, the ministry partnership of Paul and the Philippian church. And, and he's saying, I just want you to know this, this partnership that you guys have is mutually beneficial to each other. And, and, he, and he says, but actually, both me, both myself and you, so, so Paul and the Philippian church, we're actually just junior partners in this little financial gig. We're, we're actually just these junior financial partners, and actually, it's, it's God who's the senior partner with, with all of his riches, the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He says, so actually all of this comes from God. So, so whether it comes to Paul first and then, and then from Paul, right? There's Paul ministered to the Philippian believers. So, so Paul has this revelation. Paul has this, uh, this gift from God and he's sharing it with the Philippian believers. Remember, some of those, some of those people did not know Christ. He's, he's sharing of the riches of Christ to them on a spiritual level. But he's saying, I actually got this from God. And, and then the other junior partner, the, the Philippian church, they've got these financial treasures that they're sharing with Paul, but actually it's, it's coming from the senior partner who's God. Therefore, who gets all the glory? Whether it's, whether it's temporal or whether it's spiritual, it's just all from God. And he says, I'm just going to supply, God's going to supply your every need. Now, now he said every need, not greed. Some of us are a little bit, some of us struggle, right? I want versus what I need. And that's why some of us, we hear this. My God will supply every need. Some of us right now, we're like, like experientially, we're like, I don't know if that's true. Well, did you see the credit cards that came in my mailbox this week? I don't know if this is true. I, I, I got some health bills. Well, I think it's a temptation um, for many of us in the American church to question whether or not our needs are supplied. I think we've been so affected by Western rationalism and the health, wealth, Christianity, and even our culture that to, to have means I'm being blessed by God. I mean, I, we, we link God's care via a healthy salary, a full fridge, and a loaded bank account. And if we were to go to a, a church in the global south the Christian church in the global south, with much less than all of us in this room, maybe, maybe if we just visit them for a week or two, God would help us to understand verse 19 a little bit better. Maybe if we saw some of our brothers and sisters who, who didn't have what we have. Remember what Jesus told the heckler in Luke 12? He said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. I remember um, I was in Zambia, and uh, myself, three other pastors, four, maybe four pa other pastors. Anyway, this pastor was, was HIV positive, and uh, this was in the early 2000s, and, and um, AIDS and HIV was just ravaging uh, Zambia. The average age of 
uh, the, an adult, was about 34, year, uh, 34 years old. It was just like it was decimating the country. And we're sitting in this concrete brick house, tin roof. And I'm sitting there, and I just, it was like I was, I was go, go, go. We're preaching the conference. So I'm just, you know, I'm trying, what time are we preaching next? All this. But I, finally, I'm settled in this house. And um, I kind of had this surreal moment. I just started watching this pastor. And I, here I am in Zambia with all sorts of franticness. And this pastor, like, is just, can't stop laughing. I mean, he just has so much joy about everything. And he's, um, he's taking his best tea and he's joyfully sharing it with us five pastors. And he's reaching behind a cupboard and he pulls out this tin of biscuits, cookies, and I'm looking at his kids stare at that tin. And he takes his best cookies and his tea and he puts it in front of us. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, we have more stuff or more money in our stuff, in our backpacks, our computers and our gadgets than this entire village. And yet I, I just started thinking, here I am all week, like freaked out, insecure about somebody grabbing my backpack. And this pastor is sharing his best cookies and his best tea, I wonder whose needs were being met. I wonder who had soul contentment. I wonder who had joy. You know, as we're giving, as we're just partnering, as we're just, who are we really giving to anyway? <laughs> you, you know the phrase, as unto the Lord? That's what we're doing. Because I'm at soul rest. My needs are being met with Jesus. I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm in love with Christ and, and I just know he loves me, and experientially I've learned to, whether I'm poor or whether I'm rich, it's okay because he's supplying all my needs. I can do all things through him, and I've learned the secret of contentment because Jesus is that secret of contentment. He's that rock in my life, and so whatever I have, whether it's the, if I just have a plate of cookies or whether I have some, 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 some 10 fig, I mean, excuse me, some, some money in the, the 10, I mean, excuse me, the five and the six figure amount, whether it's a lot of money or just a few cookies, I, I just can give. I just I'm just like, Jesus, here's my, here's my fish, here's my loaves. I just want to be a part because ultimately my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches, to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I alluded to this earlier, but when we have this type of mindset, when I'm just a junior partner, just taking whatever I got, then who gets the glory? Look at verse 20. In conclusion, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Father, help us. Help us not, not merely to hear. Help us to obey. I just think by way of response, as you're just thinking through this, who, who with uplifted hands say, well, I just found my heart encouraged that Christ is my joy. Christ is my contentment. He's the one that supplies. I was actually encouraged to really think upon and, and just find my treasure in Christ. Who with uplifted hands say I was encouraged this morning? I wonder who would just echo, kind of echo it further and say, I found my heart poked at, convicted that I'm finding satisfaction in things that don't really satisfy. Who would say in addition to being comforted, I was convicted about finding satisfaction, things don't satisfy. That's you, you lift your hand. Can I just say me too?
Me too. Father, help us not just to hear, help us to obey.